0: Those of you who have a worksheet, we're going to fill this out because we've been studying the book of Lamentation. It may be that you have never read the book of Lamentation, and I have a a real uh, strong suspicion that you've never heard the, the series on Lamentation preached in all of your life, so you can't say When I go to church, I hear the same old stuff over and over. At least you get a different title, different book. You probably have heard this. This was a letter written by Joe Sheraton to the Republic Insurance Corporation, Carson, California. Dear Sir, I'm writing in response to your request for additional information. In block number three of the accident reporting form, I put, quote, poor planning, unquote, as the cause of my accident. You said in your letter that I should explain more fully and I trust that the following details will be sufficient. I'm a bricklayer by trade. On the day of the accident, I was working alone on the roof of a new six-story building When I completed my work, I discovered that I had about 500 pounds of brick left over. Rather than carry the bricks down by hand, I decided to lower them in a barrel by using a pulley, which fortunately was attached to the side of the building at the sixth floor. Securing the rope at the ground level, I went up to the roof, swung the barrel out, and loaded the brick into it. Then I went back to the ground and untied the rope, holding it tightly to ensure a slow descent of the 500 pounds of brick. You will note in block number 11 of the Accident Reporting Farm that I weigh 135 pounds. (laughs) (laughs) Due to my surprise at being jerked off the ground so suddenly, I lost my presence of mind and forgot to let go of the rope. Needless to say, I proceeded at a rather rapid rate up the side of the building. In the vicinity of the third floor, I met the barrel coming down. (laughs) This explains the fractured skull and broken collarbone. Slowed only slightly, I continued my rapid ascent, not stopping until the fingers on my right hand were two knuckles deep into the pulley. Fortunately, By this time, I had gained my presence of mind and was able to hold tightly to the rope in spite of my pain. At approximately the same time, however, the barrel of bricks hit the ground and the bottom fell out of the barrel. Devoid of the weight of the bricks, the barrel now weighed approximately 50 pounds. I refer you again to to my weight in block number 11, as you might. (laughs) As you might imagine, I began a rapid descent down the side of the building. In the vicinity of the third floor, I met the barrel coming up. (laughs) This accounts for the two fractured ankles and the lacerations of my legs and lower body. The encounter with the barrel slowed me enough to lessen my injuries when I fell onto the pile of bricks. Fortunately, Only three vertebrae were cracked. I'm sorry to report, however, that as I lay there on the bricks in pain, unable to stand, watching the empty barrel six stories above me, (laughs) I again lost my presence of mind and let go of the rope. (laughs) Well, that's kind of (laughs) funny. If it happened to him, I'm... All right, (laughs) true story, whether it happened or not. How do you feel when the bottom falls out and life tumbles in? You don't laugh about it, do we? Really, there are few feelings like the feeling you get when life tumbles in and the bottom falls out. How would you think you'd feel if you were like the guy that um, Swindoll tells about who who spent a year working on his dissertation. He had a a regular job, so he worked a lot at night in the library. I mean, he worked hard. And for a year he labored over that dissertation, finally had it complete, every page, hundreds of pages. And he put his dissertation in the briefcase, his briefcase, and got in the car to head out to get some copies made. On the way to the copier store, he stopped in a 7-Eleven to get a cold drink, left his briefcase in the car. When he came back out, it was gone. year, a year of putting that dissertation together. It didn't have another copy. And a crowd farmed and watched a grown man put his head on the door of his car and weep till he could cry no more. The bottom falls out sometime in life. And a woman comes home and walks in the door and finds her her husband has committed suicide. And a mother looks in her daughter's room and finds a note that says, I'm leaving, I'll call you someday when I feel like it. And parents sit around in the den and wonder how they're going to cope with a daughter's news that she has a baby out of wedlock. Where do you turn? To whom do you go? What do you do when the bottom falls out? It was my responsibility yesterday to um, do a little um, meeting with those who are in charge of praying in pr- for prayer for the upcoming Wayne Bristol crusade, and we met in room 104 to pray for revival, and there are groups of people, there was a group of people, a person on the prayer committee from each church that was, was there, and our purpose was to pray for revival, but as we got ready to go into the room after a brief time of devotional, and we got ready for prayer, a lady. I could could see under great distress said, I have a prayer request. Now we are there to pray for revival, but revival was not what was on her mind. She said, I got a call from my daughter this morning. She's had some tests run and she said, we're coming out today, I'm coming out today to talk to you and dad. And what she was saying was, I think the news is not going to be good. When life tumbles in, what then? Now what we're talking about is real life. You may turn on the television and you can see these dramatizations where people live happily ever after and the scene closes with beautiful music and everybody's laughing. Let me tell you, reality is that there are many times when the bottom of the barrel falls out and we're caught knuckle deep in the pulleys of life. What do you do when that happens? Before we get any further in lamentation, I want you to turn to the book of Isaiah. I want to point out a couple of things in the 43rd chapter of the book of Isaiah, at verse 1. And while you're turning to the 43rd chapter of Isaiah, I'd like for you to listen to this statement. There are at least three feelings you get when catastrophe strikes. You have fear. How am I going to make it? How am I going to live without him? What am I going to do without that person in my life? You have fear. The second feeling, and these are simultaneous feelings, is insecurity. I don't know whether I'm going to be able to cope with this by myself or not. And the third feeling that you get when catastrophe strikes is loneliness. There's no one else around that will grasp what's going on with me. It is in these times, listen to me, it is in these times that God proves himself real. And I cannot tell you how often I hear people say, you know, when the moment came for me and the bottom fell out, I found God to be real for the first time in my life, really. Now, I want you to look at this um, verse of Scripture, passage. But now thus says the Lord, your Creator, O Jacob, and He who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you, so that when there is fear, And that is a feeling that comes when catastrophe comes. He says, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. The word means I purchased you. You belong to me, and I'm going to protect and perfect my investment. To the feeling of insecurity, he says, I have called you by by name. You are mine. I know you by face and by name. And when... When when life tumbles in, I want to hold you real close and you're going to feel around you the everlasting arms. And to the feeling of loneliness, he says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Five words that take away loneliness. I will be with you. Now that's a neat little message. If you're going through a trial... But what if what you're experiencing in life, when the bottom falls out and life tumbles in, what if it's not just a little test or a trial, but it really is the judgment of God upon you for sin? What if what you're experiencing now is the consequence of your sin? Well, that's a horse of a different color. And that's what lamentation is about. That's what this journal is about. It's about the lament of a a nation through a man who is suffering the consequence of his sin, of the nation's sin, God's judgment upon them. And because it is a journal about the consequences of sin, we have to ask our question, what and why? Well, the what is this. Historically, the, the destruction of Jerusalem took place in 586 B.C. The people of Judah disobeyed God. This is plain and simple as that. And God had been warning His people for 40 years through the preaching of Jeremiah not to disobey His law, not to ignore his prophets, and if they continued to do that, he would bring judgment upon them in the form of Babylon, known as the Chaldeans in the Bible, and they would be like a rod in his hand. They disobeyed God. They did rebel against him, and they did ignore his prophet, and he did what he said. And the Babylonians came in 586, And they surrounded the city and cut off their supplies and they squeezed that city day after day after day of its life. Like you put a tourniquet around your arm and squeeze it until it atrophied and died. They squeezed the life out of Jerusalem until those people starved to surrender, turned themselves in to the Chaldeans and were carried off to captivity for 70 years. Lamentations is a personal response to their siege and captivity. He's like a reporter who is walking among the, in the city, in the ruins, and he's reporting what he sees, and he laments as he does. He weeps when he stands and looks at a briefcase gone. So I want you tonight to come to this fourth chapter uh, not as the study, not like you're going to study a Bible book. But so you can see your life pass before you. For the story of lamentation, the purpose of lamentation is to show us the consequences of our sin. And it seems to me that if a nation is judged by their, because of their sin, and an individual is such, and this is a consequence, I want to sit up and take notice. Right? The, the, if you follow in the outline, the siege, humility, uh, humiliating, and horrible. Let's look at chapter um, four of Lamentation and uh, verse. Let's get back to it. Verses one and two. How dark the gold has become. How pure. How the pure gold has changed. The sacred stones are poured out at the corner of every street. The precious sons of Zion weighed against fine gold, how they are regarded as earthen jars, the work of a potter's hand. Now if you remember in the introduction of Lamentation, I said that there are five voices that speak in Lamentation, each chapter one voice. Chapter one, the city speaks. Chapter two, the Lord speaks. Chapter three, the prophet speaks. Chapter four, possessions speak. Let the possessions speak. And what is going on here is this. We're seeing a a transformation of values. Those things that you thought were so important have become insignificant. Suddenly, they've lost their value. Why? Because calamity has come. Now, do you see what he's saying? He's saying that gold, which was so precious, toys that people have given their life and energy to acquire, luxury that we've cherished, all of that now has a new value. It matters nothing for little children are asking for bread, and there is no bread. What he's saying is that when the bottom falls out and when life tumbles in, you get a new perspective in, of what's important in life, and all of a sudden these things that you buy with money, with gold, not that important anymore. And there comes a time when clothes and cars and houses and luxury, it's not that important, see. In 1912, the Titanic sunk. There were 2,224 people on the Titanic when it went down. 1,513 died. There are a lot of little anecdotes about the sinking of the Titanic, that ship that was never going to sink. There is a little anecdote about a group of people who are scurrying to get on a lifeboat, and this woman said, Could you wait just a minute? I need to go back and get something. They gave her 90 seconds. 90 seconds. She went back to her room, stepped over her possessions, walked past her diamond rings and on the table were three small oranges. And she grabbed those oranges and headed for the lifeboat. Those things which were priceless became worthless when calamity came. Notice what he says in verses 7. These guys, some of these men maybe even where he talks about they were more ruddy in body than corals. Their polishing was like lapis lazuli. These muscular men, I mean bodybuilders, some of them probably were getting ready for the Olympics. Body beautiful. Here's what you have. You have these handsome men and beautiful women whose Flesh whose skin is as white as milk. Look at verse 8. Their appearance is blacker than soot. They are not recognized in the streets. Their skin is shriveled on their bones. It's withered. It's become like wood. No longer soft, but hard as wood. You see, when calamity comes, what good is? um, Oh, Arnold (laughs) Schwarzenegger's body and if you want to look at verse 9, you'll see the most horrible. Look at this, kids. Um, Better are those slain with a sword than those slain with hunger. For they pine away, being stricken for lack of the fruits of the field. Here it is. The hands of compassionate women boiled their own children. They became food for them. Because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. You say, oh, it didn't happen. Yeah, it did. Something so terrible. I challenge you to look anywhere in Scripture and find anything any more terrible than that. Something to look away from. And we've read and seen on television about Dakar and Auschwitz. We look away from that. These compassionate women, they weren't hardened women. These compassionate women... Boil their own children for food. And Leitch, in his marvelous commentary, says, Due to the lack of dying a slow, lingering death because of a lack of food, tender hearted women, so crazed with hunger, cook their own children. I dare you to find anything more horrible than that. Now, look at the catastrophe, its cause and its characteristics, its climax. What was its cause? F.B. Meyer says, The bitterest of all is to know that the suffering need not have been. It resulted from their indiscretion. It was the reaping of their own sowing. It didn't have to be this way. Now, I know it's in vogue to blame God when calamity comes. Most of the time, it doesn't have to be that way. For God certainly is not the author of sorrow and pain and He doesn't want it to happen. What are the characteristics? Verse 12, it's always unexpected. It's a total surprise. And that's a part of the calamitous nature of this thing. The Living Bible translates verse 12 like this. Not a king in all the earth, no one in all the world would have believed an enemy could have entered through Jerusalem's gates. This will never happen to us. It'll not be my wife who has cancer. It'll never happen to me. It won't be my husband who walks out. It'll never happen to me. And so we live in the comfort of a life free from trouble and think tragedy and sorrow and heartache will never come to me. And there is this ominous warning in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 9. Young man, it's wonderful to be young. Enjoy every minute of it. Do all you want to, take in everything you want, but realize that you must give an account to God for everything you do. Never is going to happen to me. I'll do anything I want to. Nothing will happen like that to me. You ever said that? It comes as a surprise. Secondly, it comes it, when catastrophe comes, there is the feeling of being helpless Helplessly overwhelmed, verses 13 through 15. Look. Because of the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests who have shed in her midst the blood of the righteous, they wandered blind in the streets. They were defiled with blood so that no one could touch their garments. Depart unclean, they cried of themselves. Depart, depart, do not touch. So they fled and wondered. Men among the nations said, They shall not continue to dwell with us. Totally overwhelmed. Third, they're beyond the comfort of man. Verse 17. Yet our eyes failed. Looking for help was useless. In our watching we have watched for a nation that could not be saved. Verse 20 is the fourth. How can I say this? Verse 20. Involuntary exposure. Now watch this. When calamity comes, there is involuntary exposure. Verse 20 says, The breath of our nostrils the Lord has anointed, was captured in their pits of whom we had said, under his shadow we shall live among the nations. Let me give you the NIV translation of that. We thought that under his shadow we would live forever. You know what calamity does? It, it hangs you out to dry and it reveals what you're really like, what you're really made of. It just opens up the curtain and you become transparent. And what you are, not what you say, is exposed. And they said, we thought we could live in the shadow of the Lord forever. And calamity came and there was no place to hide. There are two lessons. I want you to get these lessons because that's what this is about. Number one, sudden devastation is often the beginning of a reconstruction process. Sudden Devastation is often the beginning of a reconstruction process. It often takes the bottom to fall out before we begin the process back. Now, underline the word process because it doesn't happen all of a sudden. But until you come to the end of you, you'll never come to the beginning of him. And oftentimes, It takes a calamity for us to come to the end of self, to the end of us. That's why James could say, count it all joy when trials come because when everything is swept away, you can begin the process of becoming. Second, behind the human pain of calamity, is God's faithful presence. In the shadow of the calamity, there stands the God, there stands God who, who is ready to receive you, forgive you, and restore you. Let's pray together. Father, Help us to be honest tonight about the circumstances. To be willing to understand that sometimes the circumstances are designed to bring us to you. And I pray, God, that rather than to curse the circumstance, we'll praise the God behind it. And our lives remolded and reshaped because we've gotten past the problem, past the tragedy to the God who makes all things new. For I pray in His name, who died at Calvary and rose again, even our Lord Jesus. In a spirit of prayer, in a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand. Our invitations are these, an invitation for you to give your life to Christ. For you to come tonight and place your life in the church or to come to make recommitment of your life to Him. and With a proper evaluation of what is happening to you, determining what God is trying to say out of that. While we stand to sing, we invite you to come.